are we? Are we good? Okay, I'm feeling rowdy today. I'm feeling rowdy. Is that all right? I don't feel like behaving right now. I feel like getting a little rowdy up in here. No, for real. I, um, I want to I take just a second, and, and I want to make, I I make a prophetic declaration over you as the people of God. Uh, we entered into an election year last week which means it's going to be crazy out there. If you don't notice, if you haven't remembered what it's been like the last few, and um, I don't know if you've noticed, but every single election year, the economy is kind of jumpy and rocky and weird and all that kind of whatever. It's just kind of the pattern of things. The market goes weird. And I just want to declare supernatural provision and grace over your businesses this year. I, want to, I just want to declare that as the people of God, you, you, we have a divine protection. We have a divine economy. We have a supernatural connection for success in life. You have access to the power of the Holy Spirit to give you a divine advantage over everyone else in your market space. Do you have to be excellent in your own personal uh, doings and workings and beings? Absolutely. But you have a divine advantage. You have the Holy Spirit to help you to succeed and you have God's protection and God's provision There's an amazing story in scripture uh, about how one of God's children, um, Isaac, in the middle of a famine, he sowed in the middle of the famine and he began to prosper and continued to prosper and became incredibly prosperous in the middle of a famine. So I just want to encourage you in the name of Jesus, Father, right now, I thank you for your divine protection, your divine provision, your hand upon your people in the middle of chaos, in the middle of the storm. Father, you give us peace and victory in the middle of the storm. You prepare a table for us in the midst of our enemies, in the middle of the battlefield, Father. You prepare and you take care and you provide for us. Father, in the name of Jesus, release your favor upon your people. Give them strength, give them tenacity, give them faith in the name of Jesus to overcome in every way, shape, and form. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. I wanna give you um, one quick announcement. Uh, that we're going to do something very special for you as a part of Oaks Church this year. Some of you know that I have an outside coaching and consulting business. A number of years ago, God gave me a system straight out of the Bible. It's a system that I call Winology. It's based on nine specific principles that are found in one passage of the Bible that literally says in the Bible, if you do this, 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 and this, you'll become incredibly successful. It's God's secret success system, and I took it and plagiarized it and made it my own, and then companies would pay me crazy amounts of money to come in because I was a former world champion and a public speaker. They would pay me to come and teach and train their teams how to think like top-level, world-class competitors inside of their market space, and what I want to do is I want to give that to you for free. I just want to bless you, okay? So um, we're going to do something. We've done this last year. We've done a thing called our Oaks Business Luncheon or Breakfast. It's just once a month we get together. And this year what we're going to do is it's going to be, it's the third Tuesday morning, third Tuesday morning of every single month. And we're going to walk through, it's my program is called Winology. And we're going to do the Winology workshops. And I'm just going to pour all into you guys, let you work together, workshop together, develop your skills. I want to help you succeed at the highest level. I don't want anything from it. I just want to bless you. And I believe that God's going to bless our church and do incredible things. Amen. So third Tuesday morning, 730 early bird. Y'all got to be the early bird. Get this worm. 
Come hang out with us. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Get you fired up and send you out to go conquer your day. Um, we're gonna, we'll, we'll look at a couple other um, options if that time doesn't work. But for right now, that's our main time frame. We can develop from there. But the third Tuesday, it will be on the website this next week. You'll be able to sign up and register for that and just be a part of it. All right? So that's it. Let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, release your word to your people today. Inspire them. Encourage them. Father, you speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Holy Habits. That's our new series. I'm super pumped about this. I'm excited. We're starting our fast today as Oaks Church. Are you ready? Don't you love fasting? Mm, mm, mm. Yay. We love to fast. Everyone loves to tell themselves no. Don't we? Just love it. Just no, Joel. No. You cannot have that cake. I love doing that. As you can tell, I say no all the time, right? Just look like I say no all the time, don't I? No, but this is going to be a really, really great season of spiritual discipline. Holy habits is what we're talking about. And I'm just going to give you a couple of little practical things. On our website, there's some information for our spiritual journey. Um, we also have a devotional that's available on the front uh, counter out there if you want an additional devotional that you can get that our own Pastor Ron, our missions pastor, wrote and created. Great devotional that you can read and, and enjoy. And just pick one of those up for free just to be a blessing to you. Um, but fasting is something that is really, really incredible. I want to make sure you understand because there's some educational things on our website you can, um, you can look at and find. But the most important thing you know about fasting or need to know is fasting is not about changing God. It's not about making God do something. Fasting is about changing you right? That's why I'm fasting. So there's lots of different things you can do. You can do a Daniel fast, which is you get rid of meats and pleasantries and all that kind of whatever. And you just do kind of vegetables and, and organic types, whatever you could do a juice fast or a liquid fast. I'm doing kind of a combination in the mornings. I'm doing only liquids. Um, I've got a protein mix and greens that I do. That's about 120 calories. That'll be, that's all I'm doing in the mornings. And I'll get through my workout just because I want to have some protein in me and get my workout in. And then in the afternoon, I'll do some, some vegetables and maybe some lean protein, but I'm not doing any pleasantries whatsoever. None of the stuff that makes me happy. I'm going to be miserable all month in Jesus name. But, but why am I doing this? Number one, I want to get my own attention. That's why I'm doing it. I want to get my own attention. I want to grab a hold. And when I feel the pain of hunger, it makes me think about prayer because I, I, I need help to get through this moment, right? When, when, I, when I feel weak, it helps me to pray because then I know that he's my strength. So this, this season of fasting, I just want to encourage you to pick what works for you. Make sure you don't put yourself in any physical danger, but pick what's, what works for you. Some people, the best fast they could do is to fast politics. Fast Facebook, maybe social media, something like somebody fast. Why don't you fast gossiping for a month? That'd be amazing, right? Wouldn't that be incredible? But it just in anything that can take you away from focusing on God, that's what you want to let down or, or put down. And let's really focus in on our time with God this season. Amen. Amen. All right, let's jump right into this. Talking about holy habits. What is a habit? A habit is something that we do habitually. It's something, it's something that we do. It's somewhere that we go. We have a pattern in our life that's connected to this type of thing. In nature, you see animals live in a habitat. There are certain types of animals that live in a certain place. They frequent that place. That's where they live. Your habits are where you live on a daily basis. We can tell 
uh, things about people by their habits, right? And really one of the things we can tell oftentimes is when stuff goes wrong in life, when it gets hard in life, when problems arise or it gets chaotic, we recognize habits that come out. I've known people that when they get stressed, they want to reach for a cigarette. They want to reach for a vape pen. They want to reach for some type of adult beverage. They want to reach for something, whatever. Have, has anybody ever had the habit of eating their feelings? They get emotional. I, I've known people that, that when they get stressed out, they don't eat at all. I wish. Dude, when I get stressed, I eat the whole house. All of it, right? I'm, I mean, this, I have a habit of eating my feelings, right? I was the kid growing up that every other mom was like, why can't you be like Joel? He's such a good eater. They called me husky, right? I wasn't the skinny little kid that had to fight to put on weight. I was the natural short thick little fire plug of a kid is what I was. And, and that's so I have a, a habit of when I'm stressed, I just want to eat because food makes me happy. Anybody else? Food makes me happy. We're going to go to one of my favorite restaurants today, and I'm going to avoid so many things that I want at this restaurant because I'm disciplined and I'm dedicated to have this holy habit and to accomplish the goals that I want for my own spiritual life and my personal life and my own personal health in Jesus' name. Amen? But I have another habit. I have a habit of, of wanting to be the good guy. I, I, I want to I I be a fixer. Right? Things go wrong, I want to fix it. People have a problem, I want to fix it. Something's going on in the house, I want to do stuff that makes my wife feel like I love her. So I remember when we first, we were 20, I was 21 when we got married. I turned 22 on our honeymoon, and so we were young. And if I could just confess to you today, when I got married, I was still living at my parents' house. And I know that's not shocking, you know, but, but maybe a little bit, but I was, they had a kind of a downstairs garage uh, apartment type thing and I was living there. And, and so when I got married, I moved out of the house for the first time and I moved into Jennifer's little apartment in Tulsa, Oklahoma, 71st and Sheridan. It was an upstairs apartment. It was 400 square feet total. Big dude, our be- big sister. Come on, I've been in RVs bigger than, uh, smaller and bigger than that. I, I mean, it's, this thing was tiny, like it had the tiniest little kitchen and the tiniest little uh, living room. And our bedroom, we had a queen-size bed and you had to walk sideways. That's how small our bedroom was to get around there. And I, I thought it was the first week we're married and, 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 and I wanted to help and I wanted to do something good. And so I helped Jennifer with the dishes. And the uh, problem was is that at my house, my mom did the dishes, and, and I, I, I would cl- clean and do stuff by hand, but I, I hadn't used a dishwasher, and I didn't know the difference between dish soap and dishwasher and detergent. So I filled the entire container up with Dawn dishwashing detergent or, or dishwashing soap, and in about five minutes, we had Willy Wonka's factory going on, and there were suds over your knees through the whole thing, and when Jennifer woke up, she was not happy at my attempt to help, my habit of wanting to be a good person and help, and, and so I was, I, I was instructed on how to use a dishwasher by my wife that week, and then the next week, I helped with the laundry, and I turned everything pink. And I never got to help with the laundry 
ever again. So uh, I ruined some good stuff. And so 28 years now, she will not let me help with the laundry. I'm, I'm allowed to fold it. That's what I'm allowed to do. But, but, but we have these habits, and I just kind of have a habit of trying to fix and trying to help and, and all that kind of stuff. And we, we have these different habits in our lives. We all have them. We all have these tendencies. And my question is, what if faith was our habit? What if we had a habit of faith? See, there's a lot of people that have a habit of worry. They have a habit of doubt. A habit of mistrust. You ever known somebody like that? How about a habit of negativity? You ever known one of those people that are just so negative that when you see them, you don't want to see them? They call and you look and you're like, oh, no, I cannot do this. I just can't. I can't do this. I knew a guy once that I could only answer the phone if I knew I had exactly 10 minutes or less until my next appointment because I just couldn't handle more than 10 minutes. It was just this, this, this habit of of just the gift of irritation. You ever know somebody with the gift of irritation? I don't know if it's a spiritual gift or not. I don't think it is. But, but we have these different behavior patterns in our lives, these habits. What if we could develop a habit of faith that everything we do, everywhere we go, every single portion of our day, we figure out how to connect our faith into our life? What could happen? If our first reflex was a reflex of faith, I remember hearing a great Bible teacher years ago talk about how a lot of Christians, they, they, they go to church and they worship at church and they say all the right things and, 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 and then they go out into their normal life and when problems arise, they handle problems in life the same way an atheist would. They don't bring God into the situation at all. What's your first reflex when someone cuts you off? Magic finger, screaming and yelling, calling names. What about praying for someone that maybe they're having a bad day? I don't know, something, we gotta change something. What if we could bring faith into life, into every part of life? Let's look at this definition of faith. This is Hebrews chapter 11, verse one. This is an NIV, New International Version. It's a paraphrased version. There's two main types of Bibles. You have a paraphrased type of Bible, and you have a word-for-word type of Bible or translation. The King James or the New King James, New American Standard, those are word-for-word translations. Then you have your uh, Passion uh, Version or the New International Version or your uh, New Living Version. Those are all paraphrased versions. They're great. Either one are great, but it's great. And some of the stuff we're going to dive into as we walk through this is how to dig deeper as we go through these holy habits, how to dig deeper into Scripture, how to pull and extract out incredible things in Scripture By learning how to dissect words and really do different studies, we'll go into some of those different types of habits as well as we walk out this uh, month. But in this passage, Hebrews 11, verses 1, it says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now, the actual words in the word-for-word translation, it says faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things that we do not see. 
These words are incredibly powerful and have strong significance because we often think of faith as this intangible, floating around, invisible thing. And the reality is, according to scripture, faith is a substantial thing. Faith is a tangible thing. That word for substance, it literally means something that is created, something that is real and tangible. That's what it means. The word that says it's the evidence of what we do not see, it literally means like proof in a court case. So our faith is both substantial and our faith is the proof of what is invisible and that what we cannot see. We have something that is tangible. And when you look at this scientifically, we can recognize because we could also think of a faith like faith is a thought. I'm thinking my faith thoughts. Well, thoughts are actual tangible things. In your body, a thought is an electromagnetic a response and a bio, uh, like a bioorganic or biochemical response in your body. Your thoughts are actual entities. They're actual things. They're substantial. They're evidential. They're real. They're not just make believe little clouds floating over your head. They're actual things in your body. And the way that you think and the faith that you operate in affects the biochemistry and the uh, the vibration or the resonance inside of your body. Your physical body is affected. By your faith. Faith is real. Faith is tangible. It's substantial. This passage says, this is what the ancients were commended for. For by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible or what is seen was made out of things that are invisible. By faith we understand creation. What I want you to see first and foremost about this passage is that according to this truth in scripture, you can't even understand science without faith. You can't understand creation or the history of the universe or the world without faith. And what we see, in fact, for literally centuries, for centuries, the greatest scientific minds in the entire world were all God-fearing, Bible-believing Christians or Jews. The greatest scientists understood that God is the centerpiece of all knowledge. Gnosis, to know something. That is the centerpiece. That's the word gnosis is where we get the word science from. Science literally means to know. It's the search for knowledge. And what the Bible tells us is that you can't even understand science without the faith that God gives you. So we have people that deny God, and it's easier for them to believe that we were engineered by an alien race that came down in some kind of a floating saucer. In some alien race, they would rather put their faith in aliens than God. This idea of of, of evolution, yes, adaptation of a species, yes, things do shift and change, but the idea that everything that is came from nothing accidentally, that order came out of chaos accidentally, let me, let me ask you how your lawn will, lurk, will look if it doesn't have some type of an order put to it. It will regress. If you leave your lawn alone, it doesn't get better. 
It gets worse. Everything goes into disarray if it's left alone. That's why God put us on the planet to be the keepers of the planet, to be the tenders of his garden. That's why we're here to put things in order because he's a God of order that created from nothing and brought it into something. It doesn't happen without an external force. And God is that external force. And the faith that he gives us is the faith that it takes to understand all of creation. And apart from him, none of it makes sense. The Big Bang Theory, Joel. Yeah, God said, let there be light. Bang. Okay, next. Next. It's it's easy when God is the centerpiece of it. It's not when you take him out. Then you just have another faith-based religion without God. You have faith in aliens. You have faith in evolution. You have faith in something else. It's all another religion because you can't prove any of it. That's why it takes faith. I was on a missions trip once and we were in New Orleans at Mardi Gras. Very interesting missions trip. Clothing was optional, very interesting. Not for us, not for the missionaries, but for everyone else there. Very interesting mission strip. And I remember having a guy got it, that wanted to get into an argument with me and was telling me on Bourbon Street while he held both of his hurricanes, two fists in his hurricanes. That's a, a beverage, if you didn't know. It's not a, just a storm. Um, but he's got his two things and he's four sheets to the wind and he's telling me, you can't prove that God exists. And I said, you can't prove he doesn't. But you can't prove he does. I said, but you can't prove he doesn't. But you can't prove it. But you can't prove he does. It, that's why it's faith, guys. And all atheism is faith. It's faith against God instead of faith for God. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for, the assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended by for. Uh, for by faith we understand that the universe is formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is invisible or what was visible. But by faith, Abel brought forth a better offering than Cain did. And by faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. You can't give without faith. The people that have a hard time trusting a church, being generous in church, giving to other people, giving to the work of God, it's a faith issue. Abel, through faith, gave a better offering. Cain didn't have faith, didn't give a good offering. Cain was dismissed. Abel was, was, uh, was blessed and was uh, commended for that and called righteous. And it says, and by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. The testimony of Abel, because of his faith, still speaks. We still, right now, are speaking of him. His story still speaks because of his faith. Your faith makes you eternal. It goes on to say, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Enoch, it says, lived for exactly 365 years and God took him because he was so righteous. God says, I'm taking this one home. Didn't die. Just ascended to heaven with God. Faith is what gives you the opportunity for eternity with God. 
And without faith, it says, it is impossible, it is impossible, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly or diligently seek him. I remember the um, season right after our daughter passed. Um, our, our first daughter was 18 months when she passed. And the last probably eight months of it were just horrific, fighting a terminal brain cancer. And I was understandably very angry at God when she passed. Um, very angry. And as a pastor, I found myself in a position that was uh, precarious to say the least because I no longer knew if I believed the Bible or not. And, and my prayer life, my, that's my prayer journal was full of words you probably shouldn't say to God, but I said them anyway because I was just that hurt. And I remember in my prayer journal writing to him and saying to him that that, that chapter, that's that famous chapter, Psalms 91, that, that says that a thousand may fall at this side and 10,000 at that other side but none will come near you. I remember cussing at God and telling him it was a lie, that his book was a lie. Oh, that's a bad place to be as a pastor. But what I told him next, I said, God, I, um, I don't know if I believe your Bible right now, but I know you're real. I've, I've experienced too much. I've seen too much. I, I know you're real. That's all I got. And, and I know somehow, somehow you're still good. Oh, I remember being in church services where a well-meaning pastor would say something so arrogantly and how much it would hurt because of what I was dealing with at that time with losing my daughter. I remember the things that people would say they were so idiotic. Someone told Jennifer that they knew exactly how she felt after losing our daughter to cancer because she and her husband had just lost their jobs as worship pastors at some church somewhere. Jennifer almost strangled this woman right there in the church, wanted to kill her. Uh, her friend literally she, she had to pull her away. I mean, it was just, I mean, idiots, well-meaning idiots. I, I remember a guy that that you know, I was you know, getting teary about the situation just a couple months after she passed. He's like, he literally said, it still bothers you that much? Oh my God, I want to murder him. But, but pastors would say things in messages that, are, that these, so confidently would say these things and I'm sitting there going, you don't know the first thing what I'm dealing with. Guys, I can relate to that. I've been on that side. I'm sensitive to that. But when I told God, God, I don't know what I believe about your Bible anymore. It just seems like it's not true. I said, all I got is, you. I, I know you're real. And somehow I know you're still good. And this is what God instantly said to me in my journal. He goes, that's the exact faith I've been looking for the whole time. And he took me to this verse. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And it says specifically, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, that he is, and that he's a rewarder. He's good. The faith that pleases him is a simple faith with no strings attached, 
no matter what I have to go through, God, you're good. I know you're there and I know you're good. No matter what happens, I know you're there and I know you're good. No matter who gets elected, I know you're there and I know you're good. What would happen if our faith became the most preeminent thing in our lives, that everything we do was based around faith? Oh, we put our faith in stuff all the time. We can put our faith in money. Our, our money says in God we trust, but oftentimes in money we trust. I, I don't know about you, but I feel a, I got a little more pep in my step when I've got some extra cash in the bank. When, when I don't know how bills are going to get paid, I don't feel as quite as confident. Anybody else relate to that or am I the only heathen, right? I, I mean, it's just, it's just natural. There, there's times where it's easier. It feels easier for me to say, I'll just do it myself. I'll take matters into my own hands. It's easier for me sometimes to put my faith in another person that I can see, to put my faith in something that I can grab and hold and touch because I can control that. The problem is faith by definition is the substance, the physical, tangible, real, and the evidential proof of what we cannot see. We're not supposed to reach for something that we can see. It's about the faith that is the proof, that is the evidence. It's not easy. If it was easy, we'd all do it. And the reality is this. If we didn't have bad times in life, we wouldn't need faith. We don't need faith when everything's going good. That's why Jesus said it's hard, hard, hard for rich people to come to Jesus, to come to faith in God, because they're their own God. They meet their own needs. They figure out what they, they do what they need to do because they have means. People that are desperate, it's easier for them to come to faith. It's harder for you because all y'all are rich. Oh, no, not me, Joel. Have you ever been to Sri Lanka? Have you ever been to Indonesia? Have you ever been to India? Have you ever been to Central America? Have you ever been anywhere outside the United States? Have you ever seen the abject poverty on the east side of Washington, D.C.? Have you ever seen the horrific poverty? You can go right across Highway 5, and it looks like a foreign country in certain parts. There's real poverty around here. And guess what? Even the real poverty around here still has cell phones, has multiple pairs of shoes, has a washing machine, has an air conditioner. I, I, guys, these are, these are rich people problems. My, my air conditioner's broken. My second air conditioner's broken. My third air conditioner's broken. These are rich people problems. Oh, I'm so frustrated with this Wi-Fi signal. Rich people problems. All of them. Almost all of our problems are those kind of problems, no matter what economic strata you fit in. That's the world we live in. And, and Jesus said it's harder for us to come to him because we tend to just meet our own needs. And God wants to be preeminent in everything. He wants to be the center of everything. Our faith must be in him. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and this Faith is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. 
not by works so no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, many people, because of a lack of faith, take their salvation into their own hands and want to do all the good things because somehow they feel like that's what makes them more saved. Oh, Christians, we judge people all the time. We look at someone else and we say, well, I don't do that. Well, I don't do that. Well, I mean, at least I'm, I haven't murdered anybody, right? I mean, I'm not that bad. I don't cheat on my wife. I don't cheat on my taxes. I'm a good guy. And we think that our good works is what makes us better than someone else. And the trap is that it doesn't. Because in that place of self-righteousness, you, create, you, you commit the greatest uh, sin of all, which is the sin of pride and rebellion. Oftentimes, the internal sins in here are worse than the external ones. Most of the time, the external is just a symptom of something sicker inside anyway. See, this, this passage says that the faith that you have isn't even yours. God gives you a gift of his faith. Faith actually comes from God. Everything that is exists because God had faith. God believed and God spoke and he created everything that is. God believed and he spoke and he created you. God believed and he spoke and he created the universe. God's faith is what everything exists inside of. Acts chapter 17, verse 28, Paul is quoting from a poet or a philosopher of this ancient day. And this philosopher on the island of Crete had written, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Paul was helping them understand that what they knew in their hearts about a God that was their father and creator who they live and move and have their being in was actually Jesus. He was introducing Jesus to them as this God that they already had faith or believed in but didn't know yet. Paul goes on in Colossians to say the Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. That's Jesus. Do you understand? We talk like Jesus comes and lives in our heart. We actually live inside of Jesus. We exist inside of God. Do you understand that? God is, when he says, I am, he literally means I am existence. I am all existence. Everything that exists, exists inside of God. That's a wild thing. It's too, it's too much for our finite, tiny little brains to understand this massive God, this infinite God. But we exist inside of him. In him, we live and move and have our being. In him, we're held together. Did you know that there's actually a particle inside of the molecules and the cells of your body? They call it the God particle. And it's the sticky thing inside of the atoms or inside of creation that holds your body together. And without that particle, your whole body falls apart. 
the God particle. In him you live and move and have. He's the one that holds you together. They actually found the atomic part of God that holds you together, that keeps your cells in one thing in harmony, that brings the essence of creation together. It's amazing. And you can't even understand science without him. Because only through faith you understand how the universe was formed, that God spoke and created. Jesus is the answer. I, I remember growing up in Sunday school, and anybody grew up in Sunday school? Any of you, anybody that grew up in Sunday school back in the 60s or 70s or even the 80s knows what a, what a flannel board was. You guys remember the flannel boards? It was like a little, like a little, you know, almost like a, I don't know, just like a framed little board, almost like a cork board, but it had this flannel, this sticky flannel. Like, I guess it was, it was, it wasn't like a Velcro thing. I guess it was just like static or something, but they, it would be, have like a little, like a landscape on it. It'd have a desert on it. It'd have a garden on it. And then they would stick little Adam and Eve, little, little flannel, you know, stick things on there. And then they'd, you know, put the little fig leaf over their nethers. And then the little apple fig, little apple flannel graph up in the tree and a little snake and, and the whole thing. And then God walking through. And it's this little, we didn't have cartoon animation. By God, we didn't even have puppets yet, man. All the seventies, growing up early kid, man, wasn't until like the late eighties, nineties, all the puppet, whatever, all the puppets start coming out. I mean, the eighties, man, the puppet team was next level though, man. When you had puppets teaching you about Jesus, that was next level, right? But I remember being in Sunday school, and, and I heard this funny joke years ago, and it was the, the Sunday school teacher was teaching all the little kids, and he was using an, an illustration from nature to teach him, and he, was, he said, you know, this, this next thing I, wanna, I want you to imagine, I, this, this next thing I want to talk to you about, and it's this little furry little creature, and it, it lives in trees, and it, it, it's got a long, big, fluffy tail. It can be gray or it can be brown, uh, but it eats nuts. It likes to hide nuts and find nuts and store nuts and eat nuts, and it's just this little fuzzy little creature what's it called boys and girls what what's the name of that thing and all little boys are looking girls are looking at each other and nobody wants to raise their hand and finally one little boy slips his hand up and the teacher's like okay yeah yeah what is it what is it and the little boy says well i know the answer has to be jesus but it sure does sound like a squirrel to me <laughs> i mean when you're growing up in children's church if they, they ask a question you shoot your hand up and yell jesus and you're going to get the answer right like at least 75 percent of the time but the reality is jesus is the answer Almost all the time. In your marriage, it's Jesus. With your kids, it's Jesus. With your finances, it's Jesus. With your business, it's Jesus. It's always Jesus. He's actually the answer. What would happen if we ran our business with Jesus in the center of it? What would happen if we went in? Guys, I'm telling you, when I started doing corporate, I'd been in church work for 15 years. And I, I'm going from church work into the corporate sector, and I'm doing coaching with, with top-level executives. Some of these are $100 million or billion-dollar companies. Little Joel from church is going, God opened a door for me to go and do that. And I'm walking into environments that are terrifying, and I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm literally just praying in tongues. Asking God to give me supernatural understanding and supernatural wisdom, because I am in so far over my head. And God would give me answers and people's minds would be blown by this goober head that grew up in Oklahoma that went to junior college, but he knows Jesus 
and he's asking for answers. Come on, did you know God will give you a supernatural advantage in business? Still go to school, still get your education, still be excellent, still be the best in your field, but God, bring God into the center of it. In fact, when God comes into the center of it, what took me when I was national champ and regional champ, the difference between that and then making the U.S. team and going to the world championships and becoming world champions, you know the only thing that I did different? I made God the center of my training. I made God the center of my profession. I mean, every single thing was dedicated to him. Every part of my business, every part, my training became worship. When I went into the gym, when I jumped into the ring, that was worship. This is me using my God-given abilities. I'm gonna bash this dude's head in for Jesus right now. Pray for him after, right? It was all about him. It was all about his glory. And all of a sudden, I became the number one guy in the world in my division, And the only thing that changed was Jesus. That's it. That's it. He's the answer. So how do we make faith a habit? How do we make faith a habit? The the first and foremost thing is, and this is why, and and we'll throw the little, the Bible reading thing up here on the screen. Um, And it's on our website. If you just go to oakschurch.com, if you go onto the app, scroll down just a little bit, there's this image of this, this right here. And you just click on it, and it'll automatically help you set up the app. It's probably the easiest way to do it. But you can go into that Bible app, and you can go to the, in the middle section, there's a thing that says plans, and you pick this plan, own it, it's all one word, 365, own it, 365, and you pick the one story plan. And every single day, it tells you these verses to read, and you read them, and then it gives you a place where you can like write some notes. You pick one verse, one verse of all of those, and you do what we're calling an SOS, okay? So you write that verse, you copy or paste, or you handwrite it in your journal, whatever you wanna do, and the S, the first S is for say. What is God saying to me from this verse? What is God, God is saying this to me. You write that down. The second one is obey. I'm gonna, this is how I'm gonna obey this verse today. The third S, or third letter S is share. Saying, what is God saying to me? How can I obey this? And who can I share this with? And every single day, I'm seven days in, I'm doing this with other pastors in town. Other pastors are having their their churches do it as well. What would happen if thousands and thousands of Christians were all reading the Bible together and putting it into practice in the city of McKinney and the surrounding areas? What would happen? What what, what could happen? What could God do in a city where, where thousands of people were in unison and reading the scriptures and praying and asking God how they can obey him and who they can share his word with that day? What could happen? I don't know, but a lot. I'm pretty sure that people could get saved left and right. But every single day, the very first thing that I do is put Jesus in the center of my day. That's the only thing that's changed thus far. It is the first thing, my phone, I have an alarm on it. It goes off. I grab my phone. I open it up and I open up my Bible app. The very first thing, I'm still laying in bed. I open up my Bible app and I start reading and I start praying and I start asking God, which verses do you want to speak to me about today? And then I go and I do that. It's the very first thing. I just put him the center and, and every single day, which is what's, what's amazing is every single day, Father, how do you want me to obey this? And the next thing is, how do you want me to share this? How do you want me to share this? With who? So the very first day, I said, you know what, God? I want to start a new habit. 
I want you to be the centerpiece of my day. And I want my new habit to be every single day. Father, I want to find someone that I can either pray for in public or just, just show them your love somehow or whatever. That's my number one. I want to make that my new habit this year. Every single day, I'm looking for someone to show the love of Jesus to. And that day specifically, I said, God, give me someone to pray for. It's the first day of the year. Sydney and I were in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. We were going to the football game. Uh, her college made the Fiesta Bowl, and then they got slaughtered by Oregon. And uh, that was a bad afternoon, but a great morning. Anyway, um, we got to go check that out. Uh, but but we, we pulled up to CVS, and I'd been up early and written my, my prayer out and all that kind of whatever. And, and I'd ask God, give me someone to pray for today. We pull up right in front of CVS. She's going to go in and grab a couple things from the store. And there was a homeless dude right there in front of our car. And he was being really erratic and kind of scary. It was, it was a little, it was unsettling. And Sydney's like, whoa. And I'm like, just hang tight for a second. Let's watch. And he was like, just doing weird stuff and like swinging his belt. And I'm mean, just really weird. And I, and I said, just hang tight. Let's watch and we'll see what happens. And, and he worked his way off, off around the other side of the building. I said, okay, babe, go ahead and go grab what you need to grab. And I'll be right here watching. I'll keep you. And, and so I'm watching this go down and I'm thinking about my kid which is a good thing when you're a dad, right? Thinking about, that's my daughter. I'm gonna protect my daughter. Um, we'll let God sort it out, but I'll protect my daughter first. But, but the, other, the other person was, was his son. And so as Sydney comes out and gets back in the car, this guy comes back around, he's doing this weird erratic stuff and I'm sitting there watching him and I'm like, all of a sudden just overwhelmed with, with compassion for this guy. And I'm like, how can I sit here and only be concerned about my kid when that's God's kid. And I said, sit here, Jen. I'm going to, or sit, sit. I'm going to, I'm going to jump out. I'm going to, I'm going to talk to this guy. And I grabbed 10 bucks out of my pocket and, and I jumped out of the car and I said, Hey man. And, and I kind of startled at me, looked at me funny. And I said, I, I want to give you some money, but I want to do more than that. I want to pray for you. Can I pray for you today? And he looks at me and, and he said, yeah, man, I'd, I'd like that a lot. And I handed him the money and I said, what's your name? He said, my name's Akbar. I said, okay. I said, what's your story? He said, well, I'm out here because my mom kicked me out a while back. And he goes, I got caught up in the wrong crowd. And, and, and there was drug dealers and traffickers. And I was, I was helping move people around and helping move drugs around. And, and, and my, I got busted. And my mom, my mom was so mad, she kicked me out. And I've been on the street ever since. And I got no help. And no one, I got no one to go to. And I got no whatever. And I said, well, man, I, I really want to pray for you. He goes, I, I've been feeling like I'm supposed to get back in church. That's what he said to me. And so I said, listen, I said, I want you to, I've got some different friends in town that are pastors. There's great churches around you. I said, you need to do that. I said, but right now let's pray. And I began to pray. I'm talking just a powerful, like, like declaration from heaven over this guy. And he starts to weep and, and I'm praying for him. And I gave him a big hug and, and, um, and I went and got back in the car and this dude goes jumping and skipping. I mean, he, right. I mean, he just starts jumping and skipping and running and woo like shouting and Holy Ghost, like, like Pentecost running. He's doing laps. And, and, I, and she's like, what got into him? I'm like, I don't know. I guess Jesus got into him. But, but a little thing like that, guys, what if it's a little thing like that? Just bring Jesus into the center of your day. Be aware that wherever I go, it could be a waitress. It could be a whatever. I mean, now I got, I got my eye on this young guy at the gym that I'm, I just really feel. I saw him yesterday. I said something to him. I'm like, dude, he was, man, he was pushing some weight. And I'm like, man, this kid's strong. And I said, dude, you got a good one in today, man. I said, I'm, man, I'm 50. I'm just trying to breathe, you know, at this point. He's like, no, I saw you last week, man. You were pushing some weight, man. I was impressed. And I'm like, okay, dude. So now it's like, now that dude's in my head. I'm like, I'm going to, 
that guy's getting saved. That's all I'm saying. You see what I'm saying? We got to start living like this. We have to start living. It's not about just coming to church on Sunday, guys. It's about taking this thing to the streets. It's about everywhere we go. Everywhere we go, there's someone that needs Jesus's love everywhere we go. So we bring our faith to the center of it and we begin every single place we go. Father, is there someone here that needs your love? Is there someone here that needs a prayer? You would be shocked how many people, when you ask them, hey, can I pray for you? They'll say yes, just like that. They'll say, yeah, 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 that, I'm fine. And dude, I, I, I even had a situation sitting at stinking Blue Goose a couple weeks ago. And I'm sitting at Blue Goose and there's this uh, lady sitting next to me. I'm waiting for it to go order. And all of a sudden, I just felt like I was supposed to pray for her. And she was sharing her story and her testimony and how she was out of church and she'd been hurt so bad in church and she'd just gone through a divorce and it was just a bad situation. And I said, hey, I said, I don't want this to be weird, but can I pray for you? Like right now, like sitting right here, can I pray for you? I said, I, you know, I'm just, I'm just gonna look at you like I'm talking to you. I said, no one's gonna know what's going on. I'm just gonna just look me in the eye and I'm just looking at you like I'm talking to you, but I'm gonna pray for you. And I start praying and she starts bawling. I mean, just weeping right there in the restaurant. And, and, and so anyway, I left. I'm like, I want you to meet my wife. I'm gonna connect you with my wife. You're gonna love her and whatever. And I, and I, I leave and this person messaged me later that, the, that the, the wait staff came over to check on her because they saw her just like crying uncontrollably. And this is, what, this is what she said. She said, no, I'm fine. God sent me an angel today. Listen, you could be somebody's angel. That's my point. I'm not saying anything good about me. I just, had, I just had the wherewithal to say, hey, can we pray right now? Can we just pray right here, right now? We need to move past this. Hey, oh yeah, I'll be praying for you. No, you won't. No, you won't. If you're gonna pray, do it now. Do it right then. It's powerful, guys. Invite him in. Invite him in. You'll be blown away. You'll be blown away with what he can do. It's the habit of faith. Living your life with real faith every single day of your life. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, for your love. Father, make us a people that are just bent to evangelize. We're just, we're all about sharing your love, praying for people, inviting people to church, drawing people into the kingdom. Father, make us crazy passionate about evangelism right here in our city, right here in this area, in our own hometown. Father, show us how to love your people better. Make us contagious in that way. That we just can't help ourselves. We just want to love and we want to give and we want to serve and we want to do good. Father, make us contagious. That, that people would, would not even be able to resist. They would, they would become infected by the love of Jesus and affected by the love of Jesus that your love would change their lives. Father, through us, God, use us every day. Every day, Father, let us live in this habit of faith. In Jesus' name.